How many of you guys had heard of about Zephaniah before and read the book and understood everything about it? Um, I did not until two weeks ago when I drew the straw of the ninth of the twelfth minor prophet. And again, when we talked about prophets, he's no different than Isaiah or Jeremiah. He is, uh, it's just a smaller book. That's why they call it the minor prophets. He, um, why don't you guys open your Bibles to Zephaniah? If you have a Bible with you, in front of you, on your hopefully Android phone, Apple's evil, Apple phone, iPhone, anything else, the book of Zephaniah, it's only three chapters, it's 56 verses, and only about 11 verses are about hope. So we're in for a wild ride. For those of you who don't know, I'm Rick Ayers, I'm one of your elders here, um, and I, we, because we're on a pastor search, um, I am filling in about every month with some of the other fine speakers we have here. Um, just as a heads up, next week, uh, Michael Williams is going to talk the book of Job. Um, Michael and his family lived it, and um, there's a great healing story out of that, of the book of Job. So I'm excited for that. Uh, so make sure you be here next week. Um, the book of Zephaniah. It means Yahweh has hidden or protected. Now, we don't really understand what that means till the end of the book. Um, as you're looking at Zephaniah or looking up, and, and man, I said Zephaniah. I know you're asking your wives, what book did he say? So Zephaniah, the book of Zephaniah. I'm going to give you a little background of who Zephaniah was. Like many of the prophets, his book follows a pattern of judgment and hope at the end. Uh, Dave Wiseman and I were in the same golf group yesterday, and, and Terry, congratulations, but I had you. I had you. If I wouldn't have doubled number six, I had you. Okay? You just know it. Domination's not the right word. He squeaked by. So, Craig, <laughs> domination's not the right word, okay? Um, anyway, uh, Dave Wiseman said to me, gosh, you know, when we, when we talk about the, the prophets, all we hear is that the Jerusalem and Judah and Israel just continued to blow it. And he said, aren't, aren't we really like that still today? And we, and we agreed. We are. So how much have we learned in 5,000 years? Not a lot, right? Um, from the Genesis 3.13, the Lord said, Woman, what have you done? Adam was just standing there, okay? Just standing. Well, it's in Scripture. I mean, look it up. Secondly, to all the way to Revelation is the church of Laodicea and all the churches that were lukewarm, that turned their back on their first love and everything else. Man has learned nothing, even to this day. And I'll share with you a little bit my thoughts on that. A pattern of judgment followed by restoration. Zephaniah's primary target um, for the message of judgment was the nation of Judah, which had fallen into grievous sin under the reign of Manasseh. Manasseh was right after Hezekiah. All right? Um, Hezekiah was a great king, a king that followed the Lord. Why is that important? Because in the beginning of Zephaniah, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of... G, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. They talk about four generations in just one verse. And um, Zephaniah comes back, and he was from a royal line of blood. And he comes back, and it's important because he's watched this for four generations. Hezekiah was a godly king, and then every king after him until we get to Josiah, which we'll talk about in a minute, was evil and how they built it up, um, how they built up the temples, and they built up the idols, and everything to walk away from God. 
Zephaniah's prophecy shouted out for godliness, purity in a nation that was sinful to its core. The people of Judah had long since turned their backs on God, not only in their personal lives, but also in their worship. They reflected the depth of their sin and their deep need for God's people to be purged on their path to restoration. Now, we don't think about purging as a positive thing, do we? But in this case, Zephaniah is going to tell us that it is. He prophesied about 625 B.C., which makes him a contemporary of the weeping prophet, which is Jeremiah. The unusual thing about Zephaniah is his ancestry. Again, he was in the royal light of Judah. He watched four generations of kings destroy his motherland. Um, Manasseh was the most corrupt king in Judah's history, reversing all the gains that Hezekiah had made, and it is thought to be the king responsible to put, from putting Isaiah to death. Special guy. Zephaniah's prophecy takes place during the reign of Josiah, the last good king. You know how old Josiah was when he became king? Eight. Eight years old. So you don't have to have wisdom to have, I mean, gray hair to have wisdom, right? That's what I tell people. I have gray hair. I've got a lot of wisdom. And that's not really the case. Eight years old, he was the last good king. But like the reforms of Hezekiah, it appears the hearts of the people were not really in his reforms. Um, so basically... This reads, one of the commentators says this. In this, this book, and the way I'm going to go through it here quickly, have you ever seen a movie or read a book that, that three or four pages in or three or four minutes in, you're like, oh my gosh, you're into it? There's very, rarely do movies do that. They, they, you go in and, and right before most men fall asleep in the theater, something exciting happens, and then, it, then we get the last two hours. But the first 30 minutes are building the story. Well, Zephaniah doesn't mess around with that. One of the commentators said, this is a fast-paced book. The nation of Judah had reached such a low spiritual state. See if you, you get any common denominators here with today. Such a low spiritual state, there was not a copy of the law available to be read, not even in the temple. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 22. It's a fascinating story. God's law had not only been forsaken, it had been forgotten. The copy of the law included the book of Deuteronomy that was nowhere to be found. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Josiah and the other godly people to hear the words of Deuteronomy for the very first time? Again, in 2 Kings 22, read it. It's now very clear to Josiah why his nation deserves judgment. He didn't know any of this. For years and years and generations, they didn't even read it. They didn't even bring it out. It was in the temple, um, and it was hidden. And one of his kings, Hilkiah, found it. One of his priests, Hilkiah, found it and read it to him. And he was distraught from that moment on. He said, no wonder God's judging us. We're not doing the things right. See, he was a devout king. He did his best to bring the nation back on the right track. And what did God do? He promised him, I will not destroy this land in your lifetime. It'll be coming, though, and the time is near. They call it the day of the Lord. Seven times in Zephaniah, they call it the day of the Lord. Now, that's not a day of 24 hours. The day at that time, when he mentions the day of the Lord, it means an era, the era of the Lord, or the day of judgment is an era of judgment. So, I want to look at chapters 1, 2, and 3 very quickly, and if you can follow along, but just hang on if you can't. 
warning of the coming destruction. This is verse 2 of chapter 1. This is what Zephaniah says. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds. I will sweep away the fish. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble. I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it. Against Judah. He goes down into verse 5. Those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down swear by the Lord, but they also swear by Molech. Those who turn their back from following the Lord neither seek him nor inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord for the day the era of the Lord is near. And then it says in, in verse 7, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those who he has invited. Now we knew from Isaiah, consecration meant to be purified, to be made holy. He calls it later the remnant. In verse eight, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, he said, I will punish the princes. I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. Down on 11, wail you, you live in the district. All you merchants will be wiped out. All you trade with silver will be ruined. God says this, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Boy, isn't that like today? Well, you know, God's non-existent. I don't believe in God. You know, God is not dead too, just came out in the theaters. Well, you know, I just don't really believe that. Let's debate it. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's what is true. The Lord is real. The wealth will be plundered and their houses demolished. The great day of the Lord, in verse 14, it's near, it's coming quickly, uh, Zephaniah said. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. Verse 15, the day will be a day of wrath, distress and anguish, trouble and ruin, darkness and gloom, blackness. They have sinned against the Lord. In 18, it said, in the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed. He will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Well, now wait a minute. We know the story of Noah, and God said he wouldn't do that again, right? I mean, right? But, but it says here he will. What's the difference? Thank you. Water, the flood, the rainbow. I won't do it that way. Okay? We think, oh, he'll never do that again. We're good. I won't do it that way. Now, he's talking about unbelievers. One of the great, I mean... I walked up and I saw the songs today and Jeff and I didn't have a chance to talk about that and the song Wake Up, unbelievable how it fits into what we're talking about today. I think God had something to do with that. So they have sinned against the Lord and I will bring a sudden end to all who live the earth. Verse, or chapter two, verse three, seek the Lord all, who, all you humble of the land and who do what he commands. What does God ask? Seek righteousness and humility. Perhaps you will then be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. No promises at that point. Remember, this is pre-Jesus time. So then now Jerusalem or Judah is rightfully scolded. And God says, okay, I'm done with that. No. He says, let's talk about your neighbors. Against Philistia, in verse 5, it says, I will destroy you and none will be left. Against the Moabites and the Ammonites, look down here on verse 9. Surely Moab will become like Sodom. 
Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds, salt pits, and a wasteland forever. We have some states like that. Thank God we don't live there. Um, Against Cush, you will be slain by my sword. Against Assyria, Nineveh will be utterly desolate. And then the future of Jerusalem in chapter 3. Woe to the city of oppressors, you rebellious and defiled. You obey no one. You accept no correction. You do not trust the Lord. You do not draw near to God. Your officials are like roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who live nothing for the morning. Your prophets are arrogant and are treacherous men. Your priests are profane, profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. What's Congress's approval rating? We haven't changed, have we? Boy, this is tough stuff. But you know what? Zephaniah, it's right here in Scripture. Well, he's not talking about us. They've been talking about this for 500 years before Zephaniah. And we're going to talk for another 2,500 years after Zephaniah? We haven't changed a bit. Verse 7, Surely you will hear from me and accept correction. If you do, your dwelling will not be cut off. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. Who's got patience? When's the day of the Lord? I was thinking again uh, last night when I was finishing up this message after Malachi, and then there was Matthew. How many years was the Lord silent? 400 now, where's Gassaway? He's awesome. So what? What are you guys laughing for? I'm just saying hi. Hi, Mike. Everybody say hi to Mike. Okay. Just wanted to know what it was like with Malachi. Um, for Mike, you know I love you, buddy. So you're welcome. He just likes to be mentioned. Um, 400 years. So we look at correction in the New Testament They had the book of Acts. They had uh, the Pauline epistles to the Romans, to the Corinthians. Um, They had the Gospels. 400 years. God just said, I'm done talking to you, to the Jewish nation. I am done. In fact, I'm not even going to threaten you anymore. I'm just done. What's the worst thing you do to your kids as a parent? You're dead to me. Right? I'm done with you. I'm done talking to you until you apologize. I'm done talking to you until you change your behavior. Guys ever done that? I'm sure you guys haven't. Lori used to a lot, and that's, you know, (laughs) when I was out of town. Um, Wait for me. Have patience. Have patience. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Oh, man, why do we have a jealous God? Man, I mean, geez, I used to have a jealous boyfriend or a jealous girl. No, that's not what we're talking about. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Think he's serious? He's pretty serious. We don't act like he's serious, do we? We go, well, you know, what's really a God? What's really a God? And then chapter 3, verse 9, he gives us 11 verses that we can hold on to. Zephaniah says, I will purify the lips of the people. All of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? 
exciting. From beyond the rivers of Cush, which is in Ethiopia, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me. It's called forgiveness. But I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on whose holy hill? God's holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and the humble who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant, what's a remnant? A small gathering, those who are left. Do you want to be part of the remnant? A remnant of Israel. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. Sing, O daughter of Zion, in verse 14. Shout aloud, O Israel. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. Who's his enemy? Satan. Who's our enemy? Satan, still to this day. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Then in 17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with his singing. And at that time, in verse 19, I will deal with all who oppressed you. Where does justice come from? Not from us. They've been treating me wrong for years. It's okay. You've heard karma, people talk about that. That's not what we're talking about here. That's all gobbledygook. I'm being nice. Um, the Lord will deal with all who oppressed you. The Lord will rescue the lame, gather those who have been scattered, give them praise and honor. At the time I will gather you, this is so great in verse 20, at that time I will bring you home. You guys ever feel like strangers out there in the world? I don't belong, right? I don't belong. The closer I get to the Lord, the farther away. But we're supposed to have non-Christian friends. We're supposed to speak into non-believers. It's tough sometimes. It's very tough sometimes because you just want to come home. And the Lord says you will for good. I will give you honor and praise when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. And he's not talking about money. Mature Christians know that. Wow, that was a ride. 20% of that entire book was on restoration. But now we're going to get a little deeper. In chapter 3, there's a stark contrast. Out of the dark forebodings of judgment and destruction, there's a promise of the Lord. There will be a restoration of the remnant. The context describes several things that will take place. Devin, you got that? Here we go. This ties right into the New Testament. Okay? There's no coincidence in Scripture. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, it says in verse 14, because of the blessings and privileges of Christ. We are urged today in the book of Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. Judgments for sins will be taken away, it says in chapter 3, verse 15. This occurs when our sins are forgiven in Christ and we are given the confidence of heaven instead of the prospect for eternal judgment in 1 John. God has cleared away our enemies, Satan. How did he do that? He conquered death. And through Jesus, you can conquer death too. Not physical death, but spiritual death. I was at a funeral last week in Nashville for an old friend of mine and I gave a eulogy and it was a Catholic funeral and I just spewed out the gospel. 
I just said, the Lord Jesus is the reason I will see my friend David again. I know, and they talked about purgatory during the stand-up, sit-down, fight, fight, fight stuff, and God bless them. I mean, the word Catholic means universal. It's just a small C, so we're all part of the Holy Apostolic and Catholic Church. But I said, I will see my friend David again in heaven. Death, where is thy sting? We were never supposed to die, okay? But it was our own sin that we were born into that created that. But through Jesus Christ, we will conquer Satan and conquer death. Amen? Amen. Um, Next slide. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Who is that? Today, who is in your midst? Jesus, who lives in you? The Holy Spirit, the Lord himself came to redeem. Our king lives in us today. Galatians 2.20 says what? I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Do we live like Christ lives in us? I'm not talking about our behavior. Do you wake up and go, God, Jesus is in my heart. God lives in me. Even at that time, I will gather us together, the Lord says in verse 20. It's the Lord who adds us to his body. In 1 Peter, it says, you are living stones in my house. Isn't that exciting? The capstone is who? Christ. But we are living stones. We're part of the body. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, when, when I went broke and, and came back out of that, a Christian friend said to me, when I, when I was new to Christ, he said, God will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't have any locusts to eat my money. <laughs> I just spent it. I will restore your fortunes. Oh my gosh, am I incredibly blessed. Again, we find his eternal treasure. It doesn't corrode, nor can it be stolen. An inheritance that doesn't fade away. In Ephesians it says, we sum it up by calling our spiritual fortune the unsearchable, and some translations call it the unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. The coming day of judgment is described in the near future. In Zephaniah 1, it says, Be quiet before the Lord, for the Lord's era, or day of judgment, is almost here. He has prepared a sacrificial meal, and he has consecrated, made holy, his invited guests. Which, if you know Jesus Christ, and you um, know him as your Savior... You are one of those invited desks. These reasons for divine judgment can be summed up this way. And this is what Zephaniah was talking about. God will judge those who practice paganism. Raise your hand if you practice paganism. I knew it. Um, God will judge those in Judah who mix the worship of God and idols. God will judge those in Judah who completely reject and turn away from the faith of their fathers. How important is it, us as fathers us as parents, to teach our kids. Hezekiah taught his son, and his son walked away. And did that son teach his son? No. And it got worse, and it got worse. Some of you Sunday school teachers, God bless you. Sometimes you get kids that have never heard anything about God, never heard anything about Jesus, or maybe just enough to be dangerous. It's important. Some of, you, some of you guys that are getting ready, like, like Jonathan and Justin, are getting ready to have babies here pretty quick. Your job as a new father is to be a spiritual leader to your children. 
That is divine appointment. Amen? Divine appointment. God will judge those who identify with the heathen, he says, by their dress, to look like foreigners. God will judge those who practice violence and deceit in the temple. God will judge who presume, presume that God is indifferent about their sin. Ah, you know, God doesn't mind. I live with my girlfriend, no big deal. What does God say? You can't judge me. That word judge means to condemn. Yes, we cannot condemn you, only God can do that. But what does the book say? What is godly living? What is holy? What is righteous? God will judge those who put their trust in anything but, but him, and God will judge those who refuse, refuse divine instruction and who have ignored his warnings. We have 66 books on Route 66. There's a book of warning and of love, right? If we ignore it, there you go. You get what you get. And this last one's very important, especially now. God will judge those in leadership who have abused their authority and forsaken their stewardship. I'm telling you guys, being a pastor, being a leader, being an elder, elders who steal, pastors who have affairs, what's it saying here? They have a different calling. And it's sad. And it, it, we've had some lately, just some high-profile ones, not counting the ones we never read about. And it so breaks our heart when this happens. And God is like, really? Put safeguards in place. Now, Zephaniah summarizes the hope of the righteous remnant. This is exciting. They will be delivered from and through divine judgment. They will eventually be rescued from the hand of their oppressors. Oppressors. They have the hope of future blessings. Their sins are forgiven and cleansed. They will enjoy security and peace. They will enjoy being in God's presence. He rejoices over them as objects of his love and they will be given fame and honor. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Seriously, why? Go back one slide. Do you want to do this? Go back one. Go forward one. Or do you want to do this? This sounds more fun to me, right? Amen, everybody. Okay, that's awesome. Let's do that. Thanks, Pete. You had to say it twice because you didn't hear it the first time, right? Kathy told him. Pete, say amen. Yeah. That's why she's my accountant. She's so smart. Have <laughs> thought that divine judgment and divine blessings were related? Oh, man, I can't wait for divine judgment. Wait, wait a minute. What if it's not on you? What if it's on those who are oppressing you? Do you ever go into a courtroom and watch the criminals be put in jail? Who's against that? Okay, Jerry Brown. But who's against that? Did I say that out loud? That wasn't in the script. Hey, he's almost done. Stick to the script, she says. God's judgment is the means by which God brings our blessings. God removes the wicked. He gives their possessions to his faithful remnant. The judgment of the wicked is a means to our blessing. You ever think about it that way? Sometimes divine justice is perfect for us. 
Divine judgment purifies the righteous remnant, as we saw there. And finally, God's judgment is a means whereby he delivers us from our enemies. Zephaniah also says divine judgment is the means by which God removes our sin. Several very important truths here. It's not just the pagan who needs deliverance from guilt and penalty of sin. It's all of us. It's all of us. It is a God who, it's God who saves men from their sins. It's not we who work harder and strive to do better. In verse 17, he said, he is mighty to save. It doesn't say Rick is mighty to save. It doesn't say Zephaniah is mighty to save. God is mighty to save. Oh, they, I, was, I went to church and uh, Michael saved me. You're not saved. Michael led me to Jesus who then saves. The Apostle Paul, did you guys see that movie? that was out in the theater, it was, it was pretty fascinating. And it was a great history of it. And the whole time I thought about when Luke, played by the old Jesus, which was weird, um, Luke, Luke um, was talking to Paul and he said, the people need your wisdom. And Paul says, my wisdom means nothing. I only give them wisdom I get from the Lord. Wow, how awesome is that? We need to lead them to Jesus. We don't need them to follow us because we're human. We need to lead them to Jesus. Our sins are forgiven and made righteous because God has passed that judgment. We know that God poured out his wrath on his son Jesus. We just talked about it through the Easter season. He took his sin, our sins upon himself and bore that penalty. The judgment was borne by the Lord Jesus Christ. All those who acknowledge their sin and guilt and trust in Jesus, saving work in Calvary, in their place will have the forgiveness of sins and assurance of eternal life. Who wouldn't want that? And are you telling people about it? We have Zephaniah to thank for underscoring the fact that while God's judgment will be swift and severe, chapter 1, verse 2. I'm going to wipe you out. He also saves a remnant. Do you want to be part of that remnant? I do. I am part of that remnant. I am part of that remnant. The prophecy of Isaiah ends with a call to worship. He's not speaking of the worship in a future day. That will take place. He's calling for worship now. See, how much more this truth should be a comfort to us New Testament Christians? See, they didn't have Jesus in those days. They didn't have the New Testament. They really didn't have the Old Testament. Josiah didn't. He didn't have anything. But once he heard it, he knew. It says in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings, he tore his clothes in anguish. That's what Jewish kings did, Jewish rabbis did. He went, oh my God, no one, we've been missing it. Remember when you first became a Christian and you open the Bible and you read it in color for the first time? Jesus' words are in red. And all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh. I remember for me in, in, in 1990, it was like, if this is true, this is the real deal. Wow. And then I went on a search to find out that it was true. See, we need not dread God's coming judgment as we anxiously await the full. We have Jesus. We have an opportunity for Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, tonight, today, whenever,
Come forward after the service and we'll pray with you. There'll be elders up here. I'll be up here. Craig will be up here. Come forward. Don't wait another day. Because you know what? You want to be that. Amen? If you don't, let's come talk about it. We're not going to throw you out. We're just going to explain to you the love of Christ. That's what it's about. That's why he did that. So in closing, I want to talk about a little story from Chuck Swindoll. Who Somebody asked him why Zephaniah was so important. He said, the book mentions the day of the Lord more than any other book in the Old Testament. Clarifying the picture of Judah's fall to Babylon, the eventual judgment and restoration of all humanity in the future, it refers primarily to God's impending judgment on the nation of Israel. Zephaniah saw in the day of the Lord the destruction of his country, his neighbors, and the whole earth. Zephaniah wrote that the day or era of the Lord was near and that it would be a time of wrath, that it would come as judgment on sin and ultimately result in blessing of God's presence among his people. At the end of chapter 3, it talks about God singing to his people. You know that's got to sound like Elvis. Just beautiful. Right? Well, I mean, prove it. Prove me wrong. But, I mean, have you ever thought about the Lord singing to his people? How excited and wonderful would he think that is? I just love you guys. Mothers sing to their babies to sleep and just to show love. That's the ultimate in love, and God's going to sing to us. So then we ask ourselves, how do I apply this? Swindoll says, those living in Judah had turned the worship of, worship of God into a fiasco. Not only had they built their own places of worship to revere other gods, but they had begun to desecrate the temple, which at the time was the dwelling place of God. As modern-day believers in Christ, we too make a mockery of the worship when we live in open sin. Do you come before the Lord with a false face, week in and week out, looking the part without acting it? Allow Zephaniah to remind you how seriously God takes your life and your relationship with him. And if you've failed, remember the message of Zephaniah 3. God is always a God of restoration and hope. Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. God can't wait for you to worship in his midst in the end. In the end. So I want to read to you a poem oddly enough, that Terry has many talents, but our brother Terry McDermott wrote this, and um, he likes to write poems, and he's fascinating to me. I know it's hard to read, but I just wanted to put it up. I just happened to see this on a table this morning when I walked in at 6 a.m. to use the printer, and it was just made so much sense to me based on this message. It's called Innocent Eyes. Though he is risen... To the cross I am driven. I look upon his innocent eyes. I see a tear as the lamb cries. I sit and watch in vain, trying to feel his pain. I've quit wondering why. I just see tears go by. Are those tears for now, not then, as we kill our little women and men? I believe from America you have moved your hand. Is it time to take a stand? 
For the courage of Jesus I do pray, innocent eyes, forever and a day. I don't know if God's removed his hand from America, but are we much different than Judah was? From Assyria? From Philistia? I mean, this area right here is our little bubble. Isn't it great? We live in this beautiful spot with these wonderful people. But boy, the rest of this country, there's some real struggle going on. So, as we pray together, I want to ask again, you want to rededicate, if you don't know Jesus, if you want to be part of the remnant, now's the time. Now's the time. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so honored to be in your midst. We are so thankful for the book of Zephaniah. Lord, it's, it's such a small book, but with a mighty message. And we are just honored that you decided to keep it in your book, to share it with us, and that you've inspired the writing of it. Lord, we, we ask forgiveness for our sins. We are so thankful for Christ at Calvary, the ultimate sacrifice, the final payment. As Jesus said, it is finished. Those of us who know and love him, we are the remnant, Lord, and we are so thankful for that. We ask the rest of the service just be filled with reflection uh, of your love. Yes, your judgment, Lord, but your judgment can work in our favor because you love us. Thank you, Lord, for the discipline, not the punishment, but the discipline because we know you discipline those you love. Thank you, Lord, for all you are to us. And in your name we pray, amen.